So it's been a good three-week journey as we've been unpacking this missional mandate for our congregation. It's been a great journey. And uh, Monday night we had our leadership board meeting, and our leadership board of 10 elders were really excited and uh, affirmative about the work we're doing. In fact, it sounds like we... Ex- uh, went beyond their expectations. I don't know whether their expectations were low or what, but it sounds like uh, it's going good. But along with that, oh, I want to say a word about our leadership board. Ten elders who pray and uh, prayerfully, diligently try to make these decisions for our church family. Uh, I want to say they've been really faithful and uh, prayerful and diligent as they have, over the past year, uh, worked on our transition beyond Pastor Ed and I, Uh, as they have uh, asked you to approve now a $2.6 million building program, as they've affirmed our going to Waverly Campus and starting a new campus there, and then even as they've watched this new missional mandate wash over our our church, they've been just uh, faithful and diligent, and and they're one of the assets that we're so grateful for here at Orchard. So helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world, along with the excitement... We've also had some questions. So last week after a service, a high school student came up to me with two very deep, important questions about this mandate. And then by email this week, I've had two or three more questions about the mandate. And then Doug Oberman, one of our previous elders who lives in Bickford Cottage on University, uh, lives in in a wheelchair these days. He called me and said, Dave, stop over. Why didn't we say each helping each generation or helping every generation? Why did we have to say helping next generations? And Doug, when he speaks, I listen. He's thoughtful. And so I want to answer some questions. And so the first question that I want to answer is, does this mean we only value and focus on young people? No, that's not what it means. What it means is that every single one of us is committed to passing the baton of faith uh, to the generations that are following us. So Ed Baker, retired pastor of this church, he's responsible to pass faith according to our mission onto me and onto our other church leaders and onto others and parents and uh, our sixth graders. They're responsible as a part of our church ministry to pass faith. On to next generation. So who would that be? Third and fourth graders. Two-year-olds. Right? Everybody's called to help next generations. And so it doesn't devalue us. In fact, it lifts up value and helps us learn. For instance, let me ask you this. How do you help a student in a classroom learn at a higher rate of speed? You hand them the textbook and ask them to teach. Because when they come forward to teach, they are just learning at a higher rate of speed. When we send volunteers and staff and students on our caravan high adventure trip, three or four buses in the summer, who comes back having learned the most and grown the most? The volunteers and the staff, right? Uh, When we have small groups at our youth groups, who actually learns the most about the lesson given? The leaders of the small groups. So this is not a devaluing. This is a strategic way of helping all of us. We're going to all pass the baton of faith on, and it's going to help all of us. We don't get to be consumers of faith, but practitioners. And this really applies to me. You know, I'm probably now, I'm just admitting it for the first time, past like lock-ins and past taking kids to mountains and climbing and all that. So now my job is to teach church leaders who are real open to what I have to say after all my years, who will then teach youth directors, 
who will then teach students. So I have a role in helping the students, but I'm not directly involved, right? Do you see how that works? Okay, second question. Oh, by the way, this is not new, like Jeff said. We've been doing this at Orchard for 53 years. Orchard started with 28 young families, all with kids except one family. And uh, they formed the church to pass baton of faith on. And we've been saying, as long as I've been here 30 years, that if we're short of space on a Sunday morning, who gets it? The kids. I mean, we've been saying that forever. Uh, Adults can wait. We need to have room for kids. Okay, number two. Does it mean we cannot learn from those who are younger than us? Is this passing the baton of faith a one-way deal? That's a question I've gotten from a lot of young people. Absolutely not. We believe in mutuality. We believe uh, as I take faith to those younger than me and I go as a learner, I will learn a lot. It's not like I'm standing up here and I have all the answers this morning and you're sitting there and you have nothing to teach me. No, mutuality. I've said over and over again. Uh, I go to, back when I was a student ministry director, people would come to me and say, Dave, where did you learn all this stuff? And I would say, I learned it from the students at Cedar Falls High School. And right now my grandkids, ages 1 to 11, are teaching me a ton about joy and enthusiasm. And one of the things they're teaching me that's so powerful is they live in the moment. I just wish I could live in the moment like they do. It's like they're going to climb a tree. That's what they're doing. They're not thinking about, you know, what else should I do tomorrow or yesterday. Or They're in the moment, and we need to learn from them. One of our elders, uh, Alan Karkash, he uh, sent me an email, and he wanted to make this point. And he said, Dave, we have to be a learning organization. We can never stop learning, and we can learn from anybody. Do you get that, Dave? And I thought I got it. He said, Dave, you can even learn from monkeys. And I, he had me, so I read the email. He said, uh, sent me this email that he found in a book, and some of you have seen this. I don't know how you open bananas, but monkeys can actually teach us a better way. I've been, I have a banana for breakfast every morning for years. I've been fighting with stems my whole life. I like cut the things, I rip the things, I'm always bruising the top of the banana. And he sends me an email, and he says, look at how, banana, look at how monkeys do it. They simply squeeze the other end. Stem end, other end. Just squeeze it. Open it. Have a bite. So easy. Nobody ever told me this. I've been opening bananas the wrong way my whole life. We can learn from everyone. Dave, you can even learn from monkeys. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that next generations are like monkeys. I'm not saying that. Okay, third question. Does this mean everyone who encounters Jesus follows him? This is where my teaching for the morning starts. I was called to teach today the follow Jesus. So helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus. So this is the intro. The answer to the question is the intro to my series. No. Everyone who encounters Jesus doesn't choose to follow him. There's a very important point in between there. You can encounter Jesus. And then there's this line of faith, this line of surrender between encountering him and following him. The Bible has a number of examples of people who encountered Jesus but did not follow the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus. He wanted to encounter Jesus. He was seeking Jesus. He said, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you need to give away a lot of your resources. And he went away sad, choosing to not follow. He encountered, 
but he chose to not follow. Eight, eight, uh, eight lepers, uh, ten lepers came to Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, I'll heal you. And as they were going away, they were healed. And only two came back to say, thank you, Jesus. And Jesus said, where's the other eight? Didn't they choose to follow me? You see, not everyone who encounters Jesus chooses to cross the line of faith and become a a faithful follower of Jesus. That's the first thing I want to say. No. But the second thing I want to say is this encounter and follow Jesus, it happens again and again and again in life. There's a first time of encountering and crossing the light of faith. But as I look at the life of Peter in the New Testament, there's multiple points where Peter has these very special moments with Jesus where he has to choose to either give more of himself or less of himself to Jesus. He chooses to follow at a new and deeper level or he chooses not to. So let's take a look at a little bit of this. As Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. This is Peter's first first biblical uh, encounter with Jesus. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish people. Stop. There's the encounter. Jesus looks into the face, into the eyes of Peter says, Peter, would you follow me and would you become a fisher of men instead of a fisher of fish? Peter's got to decide. And he decides in that moment. The Bible says this, at once they left their nets and followed him. He went from being an encounterer to being a follower. And what was the sign? He threw down his nets and he followed Let's go to another place where Peter has an encounter with the Lord. Uh, It's in uh, Matthew 14. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. He's just seen Jesus walking on the water in a storm. And Jesus says, come. Okay. There's an encounter. Now what's he going to do? Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Oh, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? The first time he encountered Jesus, Jesus asked him to throw down his nets and he did it. The second time was a little tougher. He said, get out of the boat. Risk your life for me. And he did it. And then there were multiple times after that where Peter had these special encounters with Jesus. And he had to choose to go deeper and more surrendered. Now that's the Christian life. The Christian life is that we don't make a decision one day and now we're done. It's like Jesus asks more and different of us along our lifetimes. And we have to surrender and say, okay, I thought I was done with these tough days. You're not done with the commitment days the surrender days until you hit your grave. Some of you who are older, like me, are learning this. God has things for you to do along the way. So what else did Peter have? Well, remember on the top of the mountain where Peter was with Moses and Elijah and Jesus? He had that encounter and he had to choose to follow. Remember when Jesus wanted to wash Peter's feet? And uh, Peter said, no, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And Peter says, hey, well, wash all of me then. Remember uh, when when Jesus said, Peter, who did men say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, it's on you, Peter, I'll build my church. And remember after Peter had denied Jesus three times, 
then Jesus takes his breakfast for him on the beach. And he says, Peter, do you still love me? And he gets to recommit. Such beautiful pictures. So wherever you are in your life, doesn't matter, wherever you are, Jesus is saying, hey, in this day, will you still follow me? Will you follow me in this new way? Will you follow me in this deeper way? I've, I've like uh, kind of thought about my wife and I's life. Lynn and I got married really uh, without asking God a lot whether we should do it. We got married. But about two years in, we stood on a hill after a Bible conference and we held hands and we gave ourselves to Jesus as a married couple. And that was a new point of encounter with Jesus. And then when we held our first baby, I remember standing beside the crib and saying, God, I get it. You love him more than we ever could. I surrender this new little boy to you. And I, I remember when Lynn and I uh, caught the image, caught in college, caught the idea of tithing. And when I hit that God was asking me to give one-tenth of every dollar I made the rest of my life to him. I remember Lynn and I holding hands and going, can we afford to do this? And we just committed. And we said, yeah, the rest of our lives. One dollar out of every ten we ever make. And now, now that seems like not much because Lynn and I have, he's called us to more than that, far more than that. I remember when we sent our kids off to college. It's like you feel like you're losing all control. And you go, God, we'll surrender to you in this. Now we have grandkids. And we say, it's a new day. And now Lynn and I are cutting back, you know. You've, you've heard about this in the transition of the church, and next year I'm going to work part-time. And now I'm surrendered to God and counting Jesus in a new way going, what do you have for the next 25 years of my life? What do you have? So I want to say uh, four things about following Jesus. First one is this. We follow Jesus by modeling sacrificial service. Here's the scripture. It happens right before communion, the first time in that upper room when Jesus is going to be killed. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, John 13, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Here's the crazy thing. Holy hands in the Old Testament are clean hands. Clean hands. Get your hands clean. Do the ceremonial washing. Do it multiple times before you come into the temple. Priests, you need to be holy. You need to be clean. You need to separate yourself from the world. Jews, you need to separate yourself. You need to be clean. It's all about clean in the Old Testament. You're made right with God by being clean, by not hanging out with wrong people, by not doing the wrong things with your hands. And then the New Testament, Jesus comes and flips it on its head. Today, holy hands are dirty hands. In the Old Testament, holy hands were clean hands. Get those hands clean. Clean your life, clean your body before the feast, before you go into the tabernacle. Clean up. We don't live in that day. And we get confused about this. We live in the day when holy hands are dirty hands. Think about it. What did Jesus do? He spit on some mud. He took the mud and he put it on a guy's eyes to heal him. Think about what... These were the holiest hands that ever existed. Jesus never sinned. He took his hands and he laid them on lepers. And he hugged prostitutes. 
And he touched sick people. And those were the holiest hands that ever existed on the planet. And then now he's going he's to, he's got the upper room all done. And he's going to serve the first communion. I mean, if you need clean hands for something, you need clean hands for communion. And what does he do? He takes a towel and he washes the filthy feet of the disciples. And then he says this. I want you to notice what I'm doing because that's what I'm calling you to do as you follow me. Sacrificial service. Then what did he do? He used those most holy hands to pick up a dirty cross and he carried it up a dirty hill and he held out his hands so they could be pierced by dirty nails and blood could stream from them for you. Hear this, Orchardale Church. We've been a little confused about this in the past. We are done with the day when clean hands and separateness from the world is holy. Today, if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to follow in sacrificial service that's going to make things dirty. When we go to Waverly, we're going to have dirty hands. When we go to Grundy, we're going to have dirty hands. When we go to Mozambique, we're going to have dirty hands because we're following a Savior who had dirty hands. We're not going to be in clean places with clean people. We're going to be in dirty places with dirty people who are different than us. And it's okay because we're following a man who did this. Jesus. We follow Jesus by um, having a sacrificial service. So when you hear us talk about uh, VBS needs volunteers, or you hear us talk about the Waverly Campus needs volunteers, or you hear us talk about picnic in the park needs volunteers, or small groups need leaders, those are all places to get your hands dirty with real-life people who have real-life problems, just like us. Okay, number two. We follow Jesus by leaning, by learning to remain in Jesus. Remain simply means to dwell with, to uh, have him in us and work through us. The verse of John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, the rut. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I live in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, if we don't let Jesus live through us, if we don't calm down and ask him to use our lives... We're going to accomplish very little that really matters. In fact, he says nothing. And so we need to stop and we need to just uh, pray. And we need to stop and we need to reflect that he's here with us. At our board meeting again on Monday night, one of our elders, they share devotions at the beginning of every board meeting. And so this guy, this time, he brought in a page of scriptures and he handed them out and he said, here's what we're going to do tonight. Uh, we're going to go every other person and one person's going to read a verse, the next person's going to pray, the next one's going to read a verse, the next one's going to pray. And we just went around the table and probably lasted 15, 20 minutes, reading a verse and then a prayer, reading a verse, then a prayer, reading a verse, then a prayer. 14 of us. When it was done, we said, what just happened? And one of our elders said, you know, I was, life was so hectic and out of control as I was coming here tonight. But this helped me center myself. This helped me slow down and realize God's here with us. And that's the kind of thing we need to do in our mornings. On our way to the car, 
to take two kids to school and get to the office. Take a moment to be centered. Take a moment to abide. Take a moment to know God has today already in his hands. We follow Jesus by loving like Jesus loved. Uh, John 15. Jesus again is speaking and he says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. They came to Jesus and they said, Hey, what's the most important of all the laws? And he said, Well, it's real simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then at another point, he blew them away by saying, Oh, by the way, love your enemies. Nobody ever says that. Nobody in all of human history says, Love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself and love your enemies. It's like incredible that anyone would think they could build a church by making that the command, love. Andy Stanley, one of the pastors I listen to nationally, who's uh, down in Atlanta, uh, in February I was listening to a teaching that stuck with me all these months, so I knew I needed to bring it to you. And he says, you can sum up following Jesus with one question, four words. And he built the case of love God, love your neighbor, love your enemies. He said, here's your four-word question. Take it with you today. What does love require? If you want to follow Jesus, don't put so much attention on this. Put more attention on this and ask yourself, what does love require this afternoon as I'm going home? What does love require as I'm walking over to visit with my neighbor? What does love require as I'm tucking my kids into bed? Or I'm figuring out what to volunteer for at church? It's not a simple question. Because love sometimes requires speaking very hard words. Love sometimes requires being pretty tough. But it's a great question for followers of Jesus. What does love require? I've been, uh, the reason I'm sharing it is because I've been thinking about this for the, since February. When I go into a meeting, when I come to work in the morning, when I do something with my grandkids at night, when I attend soccer games, what does love require on the sidelines of a soccer game? What does love require? Yesterday, watching a karate tournament. What does love require? What does it require? Number four, we follow Jesus by sharing what Jesus has done for us. John 15. When the Advocate comes, whom whom I will send to you. The Advocate, that's the Holy Spirit of God. When the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. Again, these are the words of Jesus. The Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father. He will testify about me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He always points to Jesus. says, hey, he's the one. One of the great things about the Trinity of God is they're selfless. Right? The Holy Spirit never says, hey, I'm the Holy Spirit. Pay some attention to me. The Holy Spirit always says, hey, he's the Savior, he's the leader. And Jesus, what did Jesus say? Did he say, hey, pay attention to me? No, he said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And what about the Father? Remember the baptism of Jesus? I could just picture God up in heaven going, hey guys, I know Jesus is being baptized, but hey, I'm the guy. That's not what Jesus, that's not what the Father did. The Father said, that's Jesus. I love him. I'm proud of him. He's my son. 
You see, the Trinity is selfless. And they witness about each other. And Jesus says, in that same way, you need to witness about me. It's not about you. It's about him. Jesus. I love the, and you don't need all the answers. I love the, I love the uh, blind man, the man who was born blind. And the church officials are all having these debates about who Jesus was and all that. And then eventually they say to the blind guy who can now see, Hey, what do you think? I love his answer. Don't know. One thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. I love that. He was giving testimony to what he knew. So I don't have all the answers about the Bible. Even though you might think, because I'm standing up here, I do. I don't. But I do know this. Jesus is a source of joy in my life. He's a source of purpose in my life. And I would want that for you. I would want that for you. And I believe Jesus walked up a hill and allowed himself to be killed for your sin and shame and brokenness. And I've experienced that forgiveness and that erasing of shame. And you can too. We follow Jesus by modeling sacrificial service. We follow Jesus by learning to remain in him. We follow Jesus by loving like Jesus. We follow Jesus by sharing what Jesus has done for us. You know that poem about footprints? There's one thing wrong with that poem. It tends to make us think we follow Jesus by ourselves. Remember that? I've, I've had a poster of this in my office for years. It's like Jesus is leading, and there's one person following him, and then there's footprints that disappear because he had to pick me up. Well, here's the problem. We don't follow Jesus alone. We follow Jesus with a group. We follow Jesus as a family, as a congregation, as a church family. We follow him together. Peter was called to follow Jesus, but had to follow him with 11 others, and sometimes shrunk down to three others. And so one of the reasons we're spending these four weeks on the missional mandate is we think it's real important for you to get clear on if this is the crowd of people, if this is the mission you want to join as, as we march into the future. Is this, is this the kind of a church, a kind of a people that you want to join as you're following Jesus? One of our new members, I always ask him, why did you end up at Orchard? And uh, we get all kinds of answers, right? A lot of it's the music, a lot of it's the teaching, practical. She said this, patience. I love Orchard's patience with me. Patience. We're going to be a patient people. Wherever you are, if you're just willing to take a tiny step closer to Jesus, yea, God, patience. I'll pray. Dear God, thank you so much for uh, your presence here this morning. Thank you so much for the power of your spirit. Thank you so much for um, people who gather because we want to love and worship you together. Father, thank you so much for this missional mandate that's going to require all of us to follow you at new levels of commitment, new levels of learning, new levels of surrender. Thank you. Thank you for uh, 
this missional mandate and for uh, our privilege of following you, not all by ourselves, but with a congregation of people who are committed to the same thing. And Father, even though we follow you imperfectly and sometimes even badly, bless our following, please. In Jesus' name, amen.